Welcome to Regenerative Farmers of America podcast. How you guys got started and what regenerative role agriculture plays for you guys. Yeah, so we, you know, our, our farm started in 1979 and our, our founders uh, were herbalists. And so, again, they really set out to really make, you know, really really the best herbal extracts for that they could provide to their to their customers and to people just to you know at first uh, i mean we still our primary commitment right now is is people's health and well-being so uh you know that's our first our first focus and uh and again just being herbalist and uh you have to know the plants themselves and and so working directly with with uh with the plants themselves, it just leads to a really direct relationship. I, I always say that herbalism and farming kind of, they meet at the same crossroads where they're both really place-based experiences where you really have to know uh, the herbs you're working with and the land and the environments that they grow in. So those are all important concepts to what we do. And so those really started with us 42 years ago. And, um, and so that was really a strong commitment just to, just to the land that we cultivated for growing our herbs in. So it's been a really inherent part of, uh, of herb farm and our products. Um, I feel like we're probably a little bit set apart from a lot of, uh, what makes us really unique is that we grow 80 of our own ingredients. Uh, so we cultivate them right here in Oregon. And so when we uh, the when we're able to do that, it just creates uh, quite a difference in quality uh, as far as uh, efficacy and timing. We we extract the herbs uh, primarily in certified organic alcohol. We also do vegetable glycerin for those that are sensitive to alcohol, and uh, we also make salves, so um, topicals and also sprays as well. But those all um, you know those all are being done in conjunction with the growing season, with the harvest season. So, um, which begins as early as March here in, in Southern Oregon and just continues on through, through October. So, um, you know, a lot of herbalists also when, you know, before, you know, outside of the commercial industry, you've got a lot of traditional use of plants for used, uh, you know, primarily harvested from the wild. So you've got both stewardship of the land of wildland and then also farmland. And so when, when we adopted, uh, shouldn't I say adopted, but when we actually took on the farming venture side of things, uh, the primary focus was really to improve the health of this land, make sure that we weren't impacting it in a negative way and just really leaving it better for every generation of farmers. So um, I didn't, I wasn't here in 1979. I came in in 2007. So I've been here uh, for 15 years. So, but I came in as about the third, fourth generation of farmers. Uh, so when I stepped in, there was already a longstanding commitment to organic farming. Um, we were doing organic certified farming before it became, you know, adopted at the federal level. And, um, and so we were kind of also pioneering what the organic standards would look like for the rest of the industry, not just herbs, but food as well. And so we got uh, organic certified in the early nineties on, on, on this farm. And, uh, and a lot of the crossover to regenerative were using uh, practices that, uh, that were kind of uh, 
again, foundations in organic farming, but uh, some of the, um, I would say that, you know, moving more over the last three, four years into regenerative farming, it's, it's, it's a little bit more of a stronger commitment. I'll talk about that in a little bit based on some of the programs that we're involved with. Uh, not only that, but it's just, uh, it also enhances some of the, some of the types of practices that we might be doing in the field uh, all along and really making them front and center when you're looking at regenerative farming. So, and um, I think more to just the last decade or so, what, what regenerative farming has also offered us and been able to uh, give us an opportunity is really just to take a real clear stance on the impact of climate change on our planet from farming, poor farming practices in particular. And, um, and really, just really making a clear vision of how we want to keep continue to farm and improve our methods. And then also just letting our consumers and other farmers and everyone in the industry know that we, you know, that this is something that we, we all need to be committed to at this point, if we want to continue uh, with, you know, with successful growing seasons. That's kind of amazing that you guys were not only on the beginning of one of the movements, but two of them, you know, to be going through the organic certification, then of course, to be going through regenerative, that must be, you know, kind of great to be the leaders the whole way through over decades. <laughs> yeah, well, it really does stem from, again, our founders. And then at the top, you know, you've got, you've really got to have commitment from, from upper level management, because it's an investment of time. It's an investment in, of trying new things. And um, so you, you have to have that support as well. And, um, but it was, it was probably a little bit easier for us since we already had a lot of uh, regenerative practices in place, such as composting and uh, tree planting and some of the restoration work that we do just on the edges of our field and on the land that we manage. And then also just how we treat our soil in particular, so. Yeah, that was what my next question was going to be is kind of what specifically are some of those regenerative practices that you guys think are the most important and what have you felt are your benefits from it? You know, uh, you, I know you guys do pollinator strips, so of course, like, you know, the improvement of pollination, but what kind of your high level improvements you guys have seen from the regenerative standpoint? Well, I think, again, it, it all comes down to understanding and, and gaining a better understanding of, of the impacts of, of farming practices, whether it's compaction from your tractors or the decision to uh, rotate crops with cover crops or diversifying your, your crops. Um, you know, it, it really comes over time. A lot of it comes through observation for me, just being in agriculture, not just with herb farm for 15 years, but beyond that as well. I learned so much every year just from just seeing the results on the farm itself. But, um, you know, some of these real specific practices, there's, there's quite a, quite a lot that can be, um, can be adopted on your farm, but uh, primarily, of course, uh, regenerative farming again is about enhancing your soil's biology, enhancing the life of your soil. Um, you know, really making sure that your soil is not going the other direction, and that you're you're creating a, basically dead zones in your field, or creating compaction, or or in in the end, uh, you know, releasing a lot of the carbon that's stored in your soil as well. So, we. Um, you know, so the, uh, the primary 
uh, I think focus again for me is always going to be looking at at your soil and and you know making sure that you're making those biological improvements and you know that can be simply just looking at organic matter, making sure that your your organic matter is is increasing over time, and so that you are sequestering carbon. Uh, that's a that's kind of an easy you know primal that's pri kind of a primary focus for myself as a farmer. Um, and then the steps to do that, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of different techniques that, that we will we'll use and they're not, um, you know, I've really tried hard to not make it overly complicated. So to really make it simple, you know, you can really look at just some, some really easy methods of increasing organic matter in your soils. And of course, um, just two right off, right off hand would be the incorporation of compost and then the incorporation of cover cropping into, into our farming practices, which again are, are practices that we've always uh, used. Uh, sometimes we've used, maybe uh, we've taken uh, some years off of maybe not composting every single year since our very beginning. Uh, cover cropping has always been an important, played an important role in our farm, mostly because we're in the wet Pacific Northwest. And so we, you really have to be careful in the wet winters, not to uh, lose a lot of your, your, your work, your, a lot of your topsoil to, to the uh, heavy rains that we get. So you do get a lot of erosion in the winter with the amount, we get a lot of heavy rain during the winter months, but, um, but yeah, getting that biological matter back in, incorporating that and then nurturing those, those areas of, uh, of the farm, just to really enhance our, enhance our fields, enhance our soil biology. We see the results in the crops, but you have to actually see the results in the texture and the, uh, the, the nature of your soil over time. So um, I, I, I can get into some more specifics of that. Um, of course, uh, we, um, I think some of, some of that also leads to an important, what I consider, also an equally important part of farming is ecological diversity, biological diversity. So whether you're looking at, you know, the diversity of underground life or above ground life, or just the soil or the, the areas around the edges of your farm, those are all really crucial parts to a, to a healthy farm. In my opinion, it, uh, it's something that is, that needs, you know, it's, it's really probably one of the most crucial times in, in, in our history of, you know, I guess what you'd call, and it's a short history of modern agriculture where, you know, we really have to turn the corner back to repairing a lot of damage that was done to the landscape, um, mostly through industrial farming, but, you know, we've removed so much habitat, so much critical habitat, uh, and it's really affecting not just, you know, it's not going to just affect the health of your farm, but it's going to it's affecting the health of every of the entire planet. So, to be able to farm more in conjunction with the habitat that is native to your farm, I think it's another crucial part to that. So, uh, there's a lot of steps to that that we take. Um, the uh, you know participating in an actual program like regenerative organic certification really solidifies. Uh, a lot of those concepts and then kind of uh, holds you to them. So it's a little <laughs> different than just talking about these practices or maybe trying them. You're, you're more or less graded on them annually through an on-site audit. And then you, there's a lot of resources that come along with that too. And 
in the program as well as far as you know education around how to implement these on your own farm so um you know like i said the easiest ones to start with and it seems like the most foundational ones to organic farming that cross over into regenerative would be things like composting and, and uh, cover cropping which aren't necessarily requirements of organic certification but they are of regenerative organic certification and um you know we've really uh we've really changed our reliance on it's changed the way that you look at your soil fertility versus, you know, okay, let's, let's analyze the nutrients in our soil and let's, let's, let's purchase these organic nutrients and try to balance out all the nutrients in our soil. But understanding that, you know, a little further down the line that, you know, these nutrients do need to be digested by the organisms to make them available to plants. You need a healthy biome soil, you know, in your soil. Uh, to consume these nutrients and that you know most of the nutrients that plants need are already naturally present in your soil so if you can encourage healthy populations of microbial life in your soil it's going to transfer into healthy um, plant nutrition and crop nutrition as well so one thing that we really you know see as a benefit to us is the incorporation of compost we basically have made a really strong commitment to 100% across the board, um, make sure that we can create enough compost on our farm. So we pre-plant every rotation of crop into uh, application of compost before we put our plants in the ground. We direct seed some of our crops, but we do a lot of transplanting of young seedlings as well. And the compost is great because it can be used, you know, as a pre-plant incorporation. Uh, for fertility and nutrients, but it can also, we can, you can make a tea from it that we can use in our greenhouses and apply to our seedlings or apply to the crops later in the growing season. Um, it can be applied to some of our gardens outside of our farm area. So it plays a lot of different roles and we can also not just use our compost in our fields, but then we can start to incorporate it into our potting soil blends that we use in our propagation of our crops. So there's, there's a lot of great, um, it's really like just a great util utilitarianism that comes with making compost where you can just, you know, you've got this really concentrated uh, living life force that really you can use to inoculate many parts of your farm. So, and Compost then, really does a lot for us, doesn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then, of course, getting into cover cropping, I would say that, uh, again, that we've always been strongly committed to protecting our soils during the winter months. But uh, there's also what I've learned with cover cropping over time is there's a lot of benefits to diversifying your cover crops where we used to maybe just plant, you know, a legume and a grain, and maybe one or two species. Uh, we've really, <laughs> some of our blends are up to 17 different uh, species in our cover crop blends. And what I see our cover crop fields really playing a, an important role, again, is getting back to the ecology of your farm, the ecological role of cover crops, um, it's really habitat for, for your farm as well. You, you know, we, our cover crop stands tend to grow really thick and dense, and, and that's where you can really get into, this, into the farm. If I, it's one of my favorite things is to get people out into our fields of cover crop and just rake my hands across the, the soil, and you can see all the different levels of decomposition, everything from green living plants down to decaying matter, down to the brown carbon that's going back into your soil. They're all happening at, at, at once. And so, you know, we, we, we 
primarily go with a mix of perennials and annuals. But, uh, but the one thing you see is it's a great refuge for amphibians and reptiles. And then of course, a lot of insect diversity as well. When you diversify your cover crops and your crops, again, um, it's one of the really, I think people don't understand when they come visit herb farm because we have such a high diversity of crops that we grow. Again, we're growing 80 ingredients. So there's, and these are all different from all different types of habitats and all different plants, everything from trees to shrubs, to perennials, to annuals, all growing at different maturity heights. And uh, all the roots are going down different levels in the soil. So they're creating all kinds of different pores in the soil for the, for the microbes. And, you know, just as we know with plants now that we're learning more and more so much about, you know, how the fungal and bacterial populations are really specific to the plants themselves. So we're really seeing just, it's just a, I think most people, if you don't understand the science behind it, at least you understand, I think we all enjoy diversity as, as, as humans on the planet and as just as living beings on the planet. We, I think all life is attracted to being in these diverse uh, areas where you're, you know, where you're just seeing a lot of change between, you know, uh, between the different life forms and the different habitats. And it's, um, it's just, it's more of just a pleasing experience to the eye, but what's really happening scientifically is also a very important concept to, to the farm as well. You talk about all the different layers of trees and shrubs and grasses and all those things. Are you finding that that stuff is also super important to keeping your soils from washing away or would there kind of, what would you say is kind of your, your best player in not letting your soils run away during those rain seasons? Cause I'm sure that's something that affects a lot of people in your area. Yeah, we, um, again, the, the, uh, the cover crops uh, for, for what, for, you know, making sure that we don't get a lot of topsoil erosion, during the uh, during the winter months, it's going to be a lot of our uh, kind of our vigorous growing. Um, I call them cool cool season crops because we do get cold enough where we do have to still choose crops that can grow. There's not a lot of plants that will grow in their winter months. A lot of those tend to be cool season grasses. The grasses tend to grow and and uh, cover cover our soils really well. But yeah, of course, trees. The one thing that they provide is just a copious amount of organic matter, free organic matter from above. Um, we, you know, once the trees are maturing, we really don't have to do anything. We don't have to seed or replant or till the soil. We're just getting the leaves that are falling from above from the trees every year. We, we tend to, we have a mixture of evergreens and deciduous. So I'm talking about deciduous trees here that lose their leaves, but even evergreen trees shed uh, shed leaves every year so we were getting some of that material as well but especially the deciduous leaves they're just giving us a full cover of, of our soils and um, one thing that we've uh, what we do on our farm that we, we've done in some of our on our farm we continue to kind of expand these areas we call it alley cropping where we're growing our crops between rows of trees and shrubs and so what I've noticed in these areas in these alley cropped fields or, area, or plots that we're growing our herbs in is uh, not just uh, the benefit of, of course, getting, uh, you know, some protection from erosion, winter erosion, but even more so um, just on the opposite end, we get really hot and dry in the summer here. We don't get any, we don't expect rainfall in the primary growing months of July, August, and even into September. So the, the, the mulch from the leaves uh, really provide us with 
uh, quite a bit of water retention, not just from the organic matter that's going into those soils to help hold water, but they really create just a mulch on top that helps with, it just reduces the evaporation. Uh, so, and just, just from, uh, just, off the cusp, you know, not getting too scientific, I, I basically have to water those areas very little, even during during the growing season. And the, the water is reduced by two to three times, if not more, depending on kind of what point in the season we are and how hot it's getting. But uh, oftentimes we can reduce our water consumption by by a, a quite a large amount uh, we, when, we, when we are able to alley crop. And so again, and it's changing the biology of the soil. Um, it also creates these little microclimates uh, for us as well, where it keeps the um, temperatures cooler, so which has been crucial for us uh, in, especially in our part of the world. We I don't know if it's uh, everybody's got different challenges. I know when it comes to climate change, but ours particularly has been kind of this ongoing drought. I've started in horticulture in Oregon in 1996. And you know, these last 10 years have been some of the hottest, driest years since I've, since I've been working with, you know, in this industry in the Pacific Northwest. And especially last year was a standout year where we had our, you know, our hottest July on record and our second hottest June on record. And therefore we just had the hottest year on record <laughs> for the entire planet. So Trees keep us cooler, and uh, it's important for the plants that we grow as well. They really benefit from those cooler soils when we really do see these fluctuations, especially when they tend to really spike on the um, on the high side. We're seeing temperatures between 110 and 115 degrees for over a week, almost a week or not more, which is a little un very unheard of for this area for that extended period of time and then just sustaining around 100 degrees or more uh, or just slightly below throughout most of the primary growing months this season so the trees really help with that they retain you know again less evaporation more uh, water uptake by the plants and then uh, again photosynthesis will uh, slow down at those higher temperatures so our crops uh, do get some shelter from the trees as well that's awesome. I, you know, we live in kind of a microclimate as well because of the system we create around us. Can you see like a distinct difference between like maybe if you go to like town or other places that are not ecologically diverse? I'd assume the temperature difference alone is significant between those two things. Uh, for sure, in the urban areas, we're lucky to be about 30 minutes out of an urban center. So, but it's very apparent because <laughs> you know we live in a rural area. So when we we go, we call it going to town. It's a big trip, <laughs> and the town is always hotter on a daily temperature during the summer months, uh, in particular, you're five to ten degrees warmer just because of the pavement and the, the retention of heat, and then the la and then again the vegetative co cover really uh, changes quite a bit once you get further into civil you know into where the stores and pavement begins mm -hmm. so um but in particular microclimates i what i really uh my day-to-day -day revolves more around again these farm locations whether it's the different field locations on the farm or i actually we have three farm locations within just a they're not contiguous but they're just within drive a small short driving distance of each other and every single one of these locations has a specific uh, nuances when it comes to sun exposure and evaporation, soil types. So I, uh, again, uh, part of growing such a diversity of crops, it's it really um, 
we really want to put the put the plants where they where they do the best where it makes most sense to their native habitat so you know for instance i have one farm that we we basically dry land farm it we don't have water typically in a drought year which we've been having to irrigate these crops with uh, by middle of summer so we these crops are able to actually grow a lot of herbs are drought tolerant thankfully and um, they are very adapted to a little more adapted than i feel like our um, food crops mm-hmm. and maybe that has to do more with their genetics being more closely related to to uh, the wild a lot of these a lot of the plants that we grow haven't been cultivated by humans they've been mostly wildcrafted or grow naturally in their native habitat so we haven't uh, they haven't adapted too much to the regimens of you know high nutrient high water farming systems they're they're pretty resilient and so they can stand withstand quite a bit of uh, dry conditions and many herbs like rosemary and thyme and lavender they 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 prefer the 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 uh, extremely dry conditions if the easiest way to kill these plants is to overwater them <laughs> so so we're lucky in that way and then of course we have plants that um, that require more water needs and i have sections of the farm that just tends to hold more water like we we're talking about have has more tree cover more shade and so the, uh, all these all these um, all these kind of micro habitats play into my crop rotation and that's the nice thing about having a mix of native habitat and farm habitat in one contiguous area it allows for all for all that uh, diversity on your farm versus just having a big open field that's exposed to all the elements yeah. i feel like you guys have such a heavy leaning on you know permaculture and holistic context so when we kind of think about you know the average farmer and how they're marketing that things are regenerative what kind of approach have you guys taken to educating the customer on such a complicated subject of biodiversity and nature and all these different things? Um, how are you guys trying to convey that message to consumers and how is that going? Well, that's uh, education is, 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 it's an ongoing process. It's, it's another inherent part of, of herb farm. And again, uh, not just because of regenerative agriculture, but because herbalism, I, going back to what I said before about those crossroads of herbalism and farming. Uh, another, another thing that I, I see oftentimes is that we've, um, you know, we've lost a few generations or at least one generation of, far, of, of people that, uh, of farmers and of herbalists. Um, so we're really having to re-educate ourselves on a lot of these concepts. When I, I didn't grow up on a farm, my, my grandparents, um, you know, the funny thing is when I got in agriculture, I got to share, they, they knew more about what I was doing than my parents did. <laughs> so because that's how they, that's, that's the life that they live. They, they grew their own food. They had their, you know, they had their own uh, livestock herd and things like that. And so, you know, we were having to relearn a lot of these things and teach each other. So um, it's a lot of communication, of course. Um, my preference is to have, you know, we have, we host a lot of educational events on the farm. We host, we all, we, we always encourage people to come visit our farm. Um, but one part of, uh, I guess, a bigger program that we've been part of is, you know, we've offered a, an on-farm internship uh, since our very beginning. It started with just one or two apprentices, and now it's it's growing to, uh, to uh, you know, maybe up to 10, 10 in, uh, intern apprentices, uh, which are, you know, they're getting an education in herbalism, 
making uh, herbal, uh, uh, you know, extracts or different types of herbal products. And then also, they're also getting the component of learning how uh, of permaculture, regenerative farming, uh, soil biology, propagation. And so that's been a wonderful thing. Um, uh, of course, with COVID, we've had to take some time off of that just because it's a public program, but uh, we're, we're going to be resuming that in 2022. So we're looking forward to, to having these more educational opportunities on our farm coming up in the, again. Uh, just again, me being here for 15 years, I've been able to work with uh, somewhere between about three and 400 uh, apprentices. So, and it's great. It's just, it's so wonderful to be able to, you know, be a resource for, for anybody who's interested. So, you know, keeping, keeping the, the communication lines open and, you know, just giving, giving ourselves opportunity to learn always, no matter what. I don't feel like there's, there's any stopping point to sharing knowledge and sharing what we're learning. So, you know, those, those type of um, encouraging those type of leaders in, in the agricultural field, I think, are going to make the difference of handing, you know, the, the right information, the good information and the experience really down, down the line. So, and, and so um, we do quite a bit of that. And of course, um, these days it's a lot of, um, you know, uh, Zoom talks and things like that as well. So, but yeah, we do. And we will, we'll, we participate in larger, there's so many great conferences uh, out there as well. So those are all great opportunities. But um, yeah, I would say I'm just a person that tends to learn the best from, from the, the hands-on experience. So if you can find a, find a farmer in your area that's doing biological farming or just looks like they have really great soil practices or a lot of diversity, the farm might just look totally different than their neighbor's farm, that might be a good person to go and meet. <laughs> Always best to learn hands-on, right? <laughs> yes. How about the, the reverse problem? Have you found any kind of major barriers to the explanation, uh, aside from it's not a, a two-line sentence explanation? What kind of struggles have you guys found in the education portion of it? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think scientific communication. Uh, again, the science behind regenerative farming can get really complicated when you're linking the farming practices to, you know, something is a microcosmo of what's happening just here on my small farm to the a large global scale environmental problem of climate change you know how those are how those impact each other um when it comes to understanding you know how carbon is stored in our soils uh, how it gets released up into the atmosphere um, some of the um some of the agricultural practices that are contributing to greenhouse gas productions of CO2 and NO2 and methane. So those are, those can be a little more complicated or more elaborate than maybe sometimes we want to sit down and try to figure out and can be, you know, again, more, more based on scientific research than actual um, practices on the ground. So it can be daunting <laughs> to, uh, to somebody that, you know, wants to just uh, get into regenerative farming practices on their farm, uh, just to, you know, I would say start first with just really focusing on improving your soil, improving the health of your crop and, and the health of your farm habitat. And, uh, and you know, not to get too overly consumed with the, these larger concepts of, um, 
emission of uh, you know greenhouse gases and changes in our atmosphere and and things like that. They're important to understand, but they just may not be as easily communicated uh, to others as uh, as some of the concepts that we're just doing right here on our own farm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one I would say is there's also I think uh, the opportunity for some uh, new equipment to be uh, to be done, especially at the mid to maybe larger scale farming. Um, you know, again, uh, when we're looking at reducing tillage, there's been there's been some great new equipment coming online when it comes to you know crimper rollers and uh, no-till grain drills and you know ways you know things that we can do to kind of uh, reduce the, if you're using a tractor any equipment on your fields you know some of these uh, new types of designs will help I think over time it's just going to take time to develop and kind of perfect these designs to get them to work uh, really well for farmers in the future uh, versus kind of the old school equipment that most of us will find these days still you know cultivators and discs and plows uh, so making them more available I think would be uh, another challenge or another hurdle to cross and um, and so and I think and I think again I think our biggest challenge with with all of this is just you know it comes from just again the story that we're all telling outside of our farm we really just have to redefine our culture um, you know it's still too easy to go out there and um, you know we we really want to make sure that we're you know that we're able to support this not just as farmers but as consumers as well so just making just making the commitment to uh you know make this more available on the market in the marketplace for consumers i think is going to be going to be the biggest challenge because that's really going to make the biggest change is uh is really just you know uh, it's going to come through uh long-term investments in these types of practices yeah, you bring up a really good point about the consumers. So what we're watching is a kind of a struggle point for the industry is not a lot of people hear the word regenerative and instinctively know what that means. So we're finding businesses are trying to say it in different words. Are you, how are you guys trying to convey that? Are there any words that you are preferring or <laughs> how's, how's that on the marketing side? Um. Yeah, you know, we know on the marketing side, uh, we, you know, we do, we really do, we probably use a lot of the same outlets nowadays, which is a lot of social media to try to show, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity not just to explain, but to show photographs and pictures, which are helpful. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to say that we, yeah, we, you know, we've, we've had a lot more movement or success or commitment internally than externally. Um, I, I, we ha I don't, I don't think we've really gauged, um, as far as, um, you know, how, to the extent that, that, uh, you know, what the potential is for the regenerative, you know, consumer market. But, uh, but what we do know is that we definitely are getting, you know, it's definitely, we're getting a lot more requests for, um, for information about, about wanting to know more about this type of farming, um, about our soil practices, um, about our environmental ethics. So, and we're working with a lot more, um, you know, business partners that are, are, are also wanting to make these same commitments. So it is slowly kind of like, um, you know, as the snowball kind of rolls down the hill, it's just getting bigger and bigger. So it does seem to be moving in that direction. It's not just 
uh, it's not explosive growth, but I think just uh, the biggest thing is that when someone comes to us, uh, you know, wanting to know a little bit more about the regenerative organic certification or what our practices are, it's just, you know, it sparks a lot of excitement on our end. So we're able to really share, share our experiences. And, um, and hopefully that just continues to kind of build upon itself the further down the line. It's really good that you guys are seeing it from a consumer standpoint, because that's kind of how we feel the movement's being driven by the inside. And we're finally starting to see it a little bit in the consumer <laughs> and, you know, regenerative, I, I'm glad you brought up the regenerative organic certification. I kind of wanted to dive into, you know, there being great drivers of the movement. How was that certification process and how did that evolve? Uh, well, it, again, it uh, was stemmed from our leadership. I, I know our, our CEO was uh, the first one that kind of uh, found the opportunity to get involved with the program and um, came to me as far as the farmer and said, is this something that, um, you know, that we we might be interested in? Is this something that we might want to pursue and learn more about? And, um, you know, I would have to honestly say my first reaction was I didn't, in the first 24 hours, I didn't quite... Uh, even more than that, it took me a little time to work out the distinction between organic and regenerative organic, uh, because they are so closely related. And again, just understanding, I had to delve more into the history of organic farming uh, to really understand more about the foundation of the organic movement, especially in the United States, and uh, and see how it's related and maybe how some of that has slowly eroded over time and how we could bring those concepts back in, onto the farms. Um, and then, of course, the certification uh, portion of this through the uh, regenerative organic certification, that was uh, a no-brainer just because of some of the, the, um, the, the stakeholders in that being Rodale Institute and agronomists that have just dedicated their whole life to teaching people how to improve their soil, um, NRCS, and uh, just different like-minded companies that I hold with high ethical values. So, you know, the, a lot of the um, a lot of the board members and the folks that develop this program, um, I knew we're going to do a good job from the get-go, and be really honest with themselves and and make improvements. So, we, you know, we were part of the uh, of initial year pilot program, which was the time to to trial the standards of the uh, regenerative organic certification and then make the refinements. Uh, I did, you know, I was just participating farm. So I got to give my feedback. It was ultimately the uh, certification board that uh, decided to make any changes as far as, uh, you know, what, what was obtainable, which, one, which ones made the most sense, but it is a very uh, in-depth program. And it's one that I would, uh, I, I always, especially at our level, but I would say at any level, it just, it, it, uh, it creates a template for your farm and it, and it brings everybody together with a common vision. So the, the certification process is something that we can all work towards and, um, you know, farming again, everybody has their own unique style of, of doing it. No two farmers kind of have the same techniques all the time and everybody has their nuances so uh you know working you know it's not just me out here farming i've got you know 30 
other farmers and apprentices and we all have our ideas and philosophies on how this should be done and so bringing it all together under the regenerative organic certification is a really it's a it's a really mutual agreeable point where you can really have have some really tangible um, parts to to building you know building your soil over time especially but also making some changes uh to uh to uh how the just basically your your work environment on the farm too there's 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 really three elements of the certification it's soil health it's um you know livestock welfare and then worker fairness so because we don't raise any livestock on our farm and we just primarily grow herbs we we don't uh, we don't apply any of the standards to the livestock but the the soil standards and the worker fairness part of the program are are very in depth and very um it's I like it because again, it brings us back to the education point. You know, there's, it, it's a, tr it's a tri-level certification. So, you know, if you meet the baseline requirements, you can get certified, but you're working your way through bronze, silver, and then to the gold standard. And the gold standard of regenerative farming is, it, it really is something, you know, there's every step of the way, each standard, there's, there's improvements to be made. Uh, whether it's whether you're implementing those prod, uh, practices and can just you know broaden them out or do them in a, on a broader sense throughout your entire farm, or um, or just taking on more practices. So, but uh, but yeah, it's it's really and it and it really um, solidifies uh, again looking at you know some more of the concrete examples of the certifications. It, it doesn't just you know, take these concepts of compost and cover cropping and uh, saying, okay, you're, uh, I'm doing these things. So my, the health of my farm is, is improving. It's, it is really looking at the biological the health of your soil, not just through a, a farmer lens, but through a analytical lab um, analysis too. So um, the, the, the soil component requires soil testing at an at a, at a analytical lab. Um, and it's different than how farmers would traditionally test their soil for nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium. You're looking at completely different components of your soil that has to do with the life components of your soil. How much, uh, you know, how much oxygen is available, what the respiration rate of, of your soil is, um, the protein levels, the food sources for your microorganisms, and then your overall organic matter. Uh, pH has also plays an important part to uh, to a healthy microbiome. So all these uh, you know all these uh, concepts are happening over a, over over time through the program. So you're seeing just not only results on your farm, but you're seeing results through a lab too on some of these practices. And uh, and then of course there's just basic standards that uh, that need to be met. Uh, you know, that necessarily aren't uh, part of the organic certification program. You know, you're, you can't, you can't remove uh, trees or clear native vegetation to, you know, to uh, create new fields. Um, there, there's, uh, there's biological soil testing that takes you into your field and makes you look more closely at your soil where you do these tests on your farm. So it's not all done through analytical lab as well. Um, one of the more fun uh, parts of the program is you go out and every year and and you you go in and the thing is you have to these are really um, based on GPS coordinates so it's not like you can just choose the 
you know, farmers know where the best soils are. They know where their crops grow the best. So it's not like you can cheat and just go to different to those places every year. You have to everything's tracked over time through GPS coordinates. So you're going back to these same places and seeing these changes over time. Uh, whether they're good or bad and uh, the biological soil testing is fun because you you dig you get to dig in your soil and really uh, you know you're counting the number of uh, visual macroorganisms you get to float soil and water and see how uh, quickly it dissolves because the more you till you break you know um, organic matter is like glue when it works in your soil so it binds your soil together better um, if you're over tillering or overworking your soil, your soil tends to be less stable as far as um, it's uh, how it, it's, it's called aggregate stability. Um, and uh, and yeah, you take a transit, 10 feet transit and go across and count how much cover you have in your fields. And uh, so there's all these great little things you can do on your farm as well. And, and then there's just really some just some hard standards when it comes to meeting the cover crop and the vegetative cover, uh, making sure that your soil is always covered with some sort of vegetation year round. Um, so there's quite a bit in the soil component as well. And minim minimizing your soil disturbance, of course, you don't wanna build all that great topsoil and destroy it through tillage or overworking your soil. So it's, uh, it's a challenging program. It makes farmers look, um, it's self-reflection is never easy. I think it's one of the hardest thing any of us can choose no matter what you do. And that's what this program um, really does. It makes you kind of reflect on, on your practices and how to make those improvements. And that's, I couldn't ask for, you know, a better challenge than that. Um, so, so that, those are parts that I've enjoyed. And then of course, uh, I, I, you know, being outside of a farmer, I, I love botany, I love biology. So it really brings in all these other concepts of, of biological diversity. It, there's, a, there's a strong component on conservation, you know, especially in the more sensitive areas of our farms. If we have riparian areas or wetlands, um, forested areas, there's all types of regenerative practices outside of farming, you know, during the off season that you could be doing to enhance your native habitat or uh, expanding on your native habitat on your farm as well and integrating that more back into your agricultural practice. So it's, um, I really enjoy that part of it. And then the, um, the work of fairness component as well. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a really something that, again, we're at that tipping point in agriculture where the shift needs to be made for, you know, the way that farm workers, are leveraged in the industry itself. You know, the people that are really out there doing the work every day, we're out there, you know, everybody from, it really creates uh, leadership teams. It's really, you know, this certification program encourages, it's not like upper level management. Uh, you know, you really have to create teams within your farm uh, and you have to be really transparent about a lot of things that have plagued, unfortunately, modern day agriculture for, a long, long time that it's it needs to be changed as well. If we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna support regenerative soil, regenerative agriculture, and 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 the market, we need to we need to create these healthy, you know, workplaces and communities for our workers. So everything from living wages to disclosure of your policies when it comes to hiring and any sort of uh, worker voice empowerment and. Um, Part of the audit is uh, they, you know, the when we get our annual audit, it's uh, they'll 
they'll sit down with uh, each a couple each worker or a few workers on the farm and and just have a and 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 have a one-on-one -on -one with them because oftentimes that's uh, not available to a lot of workers on farms either is is they don't have a lot of representation on farms where it is heavy you know heavy top management down so and that could lead to a lot of a lot of issues so I'm thankful for that. I've always worked for a really progressive um, company here at Herb Farm that we've stayed ahead of that curve all this time, and we've and we've always been strongly committed to 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 everybody who's part of our part of our family here, our workers. But uh, but that's not to say stepping outside of here, there's there's a lot of issues in agriculture still with with how workers are being treated. I think that's a really beautiful point you kind of make about we take the holistic context of how we want to farm, but that also goes up the chain of how we treat others who are part of our business. I think it's a really nice part that's conveyed through the movement. And I, I always like hearing that that continues to convey and it's not, you guys didn't have to overthrow the system. There was already, you know, some stuff that maybe needed to be tweaked, but, you know, fairness was always an important part as well. <laughs> Yeah, my hope is that regenerative farming not only you know again the, in the in the context of um, of of that would just be you know beyond just soil practice and farming practices the the big you know the big um, what I'd really like to see is you know our agriculture communities our farming communities come back together in, in a healthy way and you know and in a more um, you know cooperative way that uh, that can it's just gonna help uh, I think again just uh, repair so much of uh, some of the the wake of the damage that you know kind of industrial agriculture has trampled through so much of our of our systems on those things because uh, it, yeah it's all it those are those are all part of this web and so it's important that's so true um and Something I want to ask your opinion on, if there is somebody who is kind of maybe doing this in their backyard or as a hobby, what's your kind of advice to how do they turn this into something that's their full-time passion? Because we need more people that are like this, that are so excited about the movement. What would your advice be to help them continue doing that? Well, I would say, and this is of any farmer, whether you're big or small, and again, we talked a lot about diversity, but really you know, diversify. Uh, these days, you really have to. The more the more um, things you can do on your farm. And I'm not just talking about um, crop diversity, but I am. <laughs> so, you know, have a, have a diverse set of, 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 um, of plants that you're working with or livestock, uh, you know, find, find those niches. And, uh, but, not, but not just that, uh, diversity as far as what you're offering from your farm and, um, and the, and and the type of farming you, you know uh, anything you know farming traditionally was always you know to me it was like rolling hills and the red barn on top of the hill and you just saw endless you know the, the healthy cows out in grass pastures but i mean nowadays farming could be happening you know a, a lot of, on rooftops and in the middle of urban cities and you know in suburban areas and and that's really going to be the the change that uh, that needs to happen. So that's not that doesn't look anything like what what um, you know what what I guess the the typical you know agricultural system has been over the last fifty years in the United States. So these it is going to fall to the small producers to the small farmers, and um, and I guess one uh, one you know advice to that because I think everybody struggles with the margins on farming. 
because it is a lot of um, it is a lot of labor. And when I started organic farming, this was before herb farm. I, you know, it was almost like a lifestyle choice. Like I had to choose to be poor to be a farmer. But I ate. Re- I always. I always eat really good, and I have the best. My and I have the best friends, and we all. We all. You know, trade each other for really healthy foods and a healthy lifestyle. But it sure would be nice to have a lot of the other benefits that a modern day. You know, um, careers offer. So I would say in that sense, you do have to be savvy with, with um, you know, we still live in a capitalistic economy and you have to be cognizant of that. So, um, you know, with the margins being so close on, on the raw material side, you know, the consumers in the United States, we don't, um, you know, we don't necessarily value or place a high value on, on these raw materials. You know, we can still buy fruits and vegetables that are fairly, fairly low cost compared to a lot of other things when you make products out of them. So I always encourage um, farmers to look at ways to add value to what they grow or what to what they produce. And that's just, that's just uh, an important concept to be able to stay economically viable too. is, you know, take, take those tomatoes and come up with 10 different products you can make from those tomatoes and see which one you would enjoy the most and offer that. And um, uh, it's, it's just the way that our economy works right now. We value products more than the raw materials. So that'll also help your bottom line, I think, in the end. That's such a great piece of advice because I think a lot of people do struggle with that mindset of, you know, producing and farming is not inherently a get rich quick scheme, but we all love it so much. How can we let that passion? So I think that's a really, really great way to help people go about that a little bit better. And my last question for you is, so what is ahead for Herb Farm? So, you know, you're talking about having uh, interns back on the farm. What's ahead for you guys? Yeah, well, I think uh, from my perspective, it is um, going a little bit, uh, again, I, I, uh, I always advocate because I have been for so long uh, in my lifetime, just, uh, you know, how to create more uh, green jobs, you know, green markets, all these things we're talking about, how do we create more of it and make this more of an option for, um, for people that are wanting to either make a career change, or they're just coming into their, to their careers for, you know, for the first time, you know, how do we make these opportunities more available? And uh, so, of course, I'm driven by, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, the more I can, we can drive our, um, you know, our business, the more we can drive these types of opportunities for, for people. And um, I think, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the things that we're seeing is, is at least I am, which is pretty exciting is that we've, we're just, we've kind of turned this corner into, which is, which is now we're starting to get into this idea that, you know, there's so many uses that plants and the soil and our environment just provides us with that are just, they're so crucial to not only our survival, but just our well-being. that I think there's just, there's, there's a shift that's happening. And we're seeing that, you know, not just, you know, hopefully in the land itself, but in the marketplace too, where we're seeing just, you know, so many of these different plants and diversity of, of, of natural products and beverages and health products and so much of a swing back towards wanting to connect with uh, you know again with with the land with 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 all these other beings that are around us all this life that we have surrounding us that you know are just critical to uh, to 
you know, to our, to our existence on this wonderful planet. So, you know, the more that we can do all this together, um, you know, that's, that's the exciting part. So I think with, with us uh, looking ahead, we, we're going to continue to, to just, you know, it, we don't, we're so lucky to have such a foundation in this type of lifestyle and these type of quality products with our, with our founders and our owners, uh, original, you know, founders of the company that all we really have to do at Herb Farm is take that and just kind of spread the word. <laughs> and that's what we've been doing for 42 years. And so hopefully we can, uh, you know, we're going to continue to do that for a very, very long time. Well, you're doing a fantastic job of it. So I guess we're just excited to see it keep going and keep spreading. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate you being on here so much. And do you mind just letting everybody know what's the best place to find you guys online, your social media? Yeah, uh, sure. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, just uh, be under Herb Farm. And then um, again, if you just uh, Google Herb Farm, it's herb-farm.com as our website. And you'll find a lot of information, not only of our business and our products, but quite a, quite a bit about our uh, farm as well. And some really great uh, photographs as well in all these places. So yeah, definitely check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. We appreciate you so much and can't wait to keep sharing what you guys keep doing in the future. Thanks, Lauren. (laughs) 